Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jeff Grammer with the Albuquerque Journal, and you are listening to the Talking Grammar Podcast, episode 52 right now. First time I've done one of these where I don't actually have one specific guest in this episode where I where I interview and have a conversation. What I got going for you this time, since we're one week out as I post this, I'm, I'm actually recording this intro on Halloween night. had a had a little three-year-old cookie monster running around the neighborhood. She had to get some candy. Had a 13-year-old big sister who helped her go trick-or-treating. And uh, she dressed up like, I don't know what the character's name is, the girl from The Ring, a movie I've never even seen. I don't even think my daughter's seen it, but she 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 went dressed up as the girl from The Ring. So anyway, my three-year-old cookie monster and uh, my 13-year-old uh, big sister of the little cookie monster went trick-or-treating tonight and uh, got a lot of candy. I'm... I'm Right now, I'm enforcing the dad tax, and as, as as they sleep, as I wrap this Halloween recording up right now, uh, I am enforcing the dad tax and eating all the candy I want while they sleep. So, that said, a little later than normal start to uh, posting this podcast, which usually comes out a little earlier on Monday nights, but uh, this is a Mountain West Conference preview, and... A lot of these previews and the magazines and, and some of these podcasts come out about a month ago when, when practices start. And this one, I wanted to wait till a little bit closer to the season. We're now one week away from the season, November 7th to be exact. Next Monday night is the first night of the college basketball season around the country for the Lobos and all the Mountain West teams. So what I did was I, I took some audio from, in in the case of the Lobos, I have plenty of audio from Richard Pitino talking about the season ahead, but... For all the other coaches, for the most part, I, I pretty much took their audio from the Mountain West Media Conference that was on October 19th, I believe, and, and sort of them talking about their team. So I have 11 teams coming up. I preview some of the players gone, some of the newcomers that are coming, some of the returners, where they're picked in the preseason poll, where they were picked, um, if they any of their players got preseason awards, like Newcomer of the Year, like player of the year potentially, Graham E.K. at Wyoming in that case, where they were picked in the preseason media poll, where I actually picked them on my ballot in the preseason media poll, give you some of my thoughts about what I think the team is going to have to do this year, and then also hear from the coaches themselves and, and what they say about sort of the key storylines about this coming season. So hope you enjoy it. Every team got about eh, five to seven or eight minutes worth of uh, commentary here. So it's a pretty long podcast, 11 teams. And uh, five to seven or eight minutes for every single team sure sure adds up pretty quickly. But hopefully you can use this as a resource to sort of learn about the Mountain West Conference teams going into the season. Conference play doesn't start till the end of December, early January, of course. But now that the college basketball season finally is upon us, I figure now would be a good time for a Mountain West Conference preview. What I'm going to also do is so you don't have to listen to the entire thing if you just want to go to a specific team. On the podcast description page, the the text under on either be on the Albuquerque Journal's website, abqjournal.com slash sports, by the way, where you can get all 52 episodes of the Talking Grammar podcast and see our daily coverage of all kinds of sports. You will see a description there that will list all 11 teams and where you can get it. You'll also see that on Spotify and and iTunes when you see the this episode description. I will put a time as to where each team starts in this podcast. So you can fast forward if you want just to hear your favorite team, or you can enjoy all the talking grammar that's going to go on as I preview the 11-team Mountain West Conference heading into the 2022-2023 season. Hope you enjoy
All right, well, let's get things rolling with the preseason favorite, San Diego State Aztecs. They are the preseason favorite on the media poll. They were on my ballot. They're on everybody's ballot. They're they're a pretty loaded, pretty stacked team, and they're the perennial contenders of this conference. They did for about a minute, um, kind of compete, go head to head, go toe to toe, if you will, with the with the Lobos. But that was a decade ago now. It's been a while since the Lobos could really call San Diego State a rival because they haven't really been competitive with the Aztecs in about eight, at least, I guess, since Craig Neal's first year, the 2013-14 year, where it did go down to the final regular season game. Um, The two had an even record, and San Diego State won that game, won the regular season crown. A week later, the Lobos won won the Mountain West tournament. So that was in, two, in March of 2014 that those two games happened, and that was really the last time that, that the Lobos were really on the same level or even close to the same level of what San Diego State's been. So they finished last season 23-9, and 13-4 in league play. That was good for the number three seed in the Mountain West Tournament. They lost to Boise State three times last season, including a one-point loss in the Mountain West Tournament Championship game on March 12th. They still made the NCAA tournament easily as an at-large team. They were That's where they lost to Creighton in overtime, had a big lead, kind of uh, squandered that. But San Diego State certainly had a, a very big season last year. Like I said, was, was comfortably in the NCAA tournament as an at-large. So heading into this season, they're not only the clear-cut preseason Mountain West favorites, getting 16 of a possible 21st-place votes on the preseason media poll, and they actually came in second place on the other four ballots. So even the people that didn't pick them to win it, couldn't pick them any lower than second, and uh, so they were easily the, the preseason favorites, and they were first on my ballot, but they're also coming in um, ranked nationally at number 19 on the preseason Associated Press Top 25 poll, and I am a voter for full disclosure. I'm a voter on the AP poll, have been for about a decade now. I'm one of 63 voters this year, and I actually ranked them higher than the, than the national poll did. I have them ranked 15th on my preseason ballot and they came out 19th on the overall preseason ballot. So I'm high on San Diego State, and so are the national voters, and and there's a lot of reason for that. Why is that? Well, they did lose one key player in point guard Trey Pulliam, but they didn't exactly lose enough to cause any sort of panic. I think that while they did lose a key player, they returned enough that they still would have been in contention had they not added pieces But the reality is they added two very potentially key pieces to a core of returning players that include Matt Bradley. He's a guard that was voted to the preseason All-Mountain West team. They returned Defensive Player of the Year Nathan Mensah, the guy who anchors their defense. And unless you're totally new to the Mountain West Conference, San Diego State's identity is defense. They have a really good point guard in Lamont Butler. They have athletic, a returning athletic forward in Keyshawn Johnson. And there are some other returning players, obviously, that play key roles, too. If we were going really in-depth, I'd, I'd get into all of those. But they also add two newcomers that you need to know about. Forward Jaden Ledee. He's a TCU transfer, and he sat out last year as a redshirt. And from what I've been told, there were times just the, you know listening to some people talk about him. looked like he was an All-American sometimes last year in, as a, sitting out as a redshirt. And uh, he is a guy that at his best sounds like he could just be a a beast and take over games. So we'll see how much of that at his best kind of comes to fruition. He he was at Ohio State. He he was at TCU. And and we haven't seen, you know, the, the beast that some people say is about to be unleashed on the Mountain West all that much. So let's see if he is now ready to, to do that on a regular and a consistent basis. All indications are he is. There is a lot of people that, that think he's about to be a superstar. 
And um, the guy I did vote for for Newcomer of the Year, though, is the other key addition that's going to be a starting point guard for him. He was the guy who did win the preseason media polls pick for preseason Newcomer of the Year. And it's high-scoring whack transfer from Seattle, Darian Trammell. He averaged 17.3 points, 5 assists, and and 2.5 steals per game last year. And while he's just five foot ten, which isn't exactly the uh, the mold of a whole lot of the the big bulky guards that San Diego State has had through the years, he is a guy that Brian Dutcher and you know and the Aztecs really really wanted to to add to the to the mix this year. It's going to be hard to ignore just how good he is offensively. And for Lobo fans listening, I mean Lamont Butler and him going against the the Lobos backcourt of Jalen House, Jamal Mashburn Jr., and Donovan Dent even like it's going to be fun to watch. So. Let's listen to to how to what head coach Brian Dutcher says about all that preseason hype and all the praise being heaped upon his program going into the season. You know, we're kind of used to it. You know, we're not spoiled by it. You know, we like expectations. We like high expectations. So now we have to meet them. That's always the challenge. So we're working hard at practice. I think we're getting better every day. But I said yesterday in a press conference, until we get hit in the nose, and, and know what we are, we'll, we'll find out. So we like what we have, but uh, we haven't been challenging competition yet. So those days are coming quickly, and we're preparing for those. One thing that seems to help any team handle preseason expectations and hype is always experience. San Diego State has a whole lot of that. There are two types of teams. There are coach-driven teams and player-driven teams, and player-driven teams are always better. And we have a player-driven team. Uh, we have great experience. I mean, you just go down the roster, Nathan Mensa, fifth year, Aguica Rope, fifth year, Jaden Ledee, fifth year, Matt Bradley, fifth year, Adam Seiko, sixth year, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, fourth year, Lamont Butler, uh, third year, uh, Darion Trammell, fourth year. So we have guys that have played a lot of basketball that know what it is, and so uh, there's nothing that they haven't seen or won't be ready for, and now we just have to go out and compete at a high level. Okay, now, so since this is an Albuquerque Journal podcast, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that the Aztecs and Lobos, who were once pretty heated rivals, haven't actually played a game here in Albuquerque since before COVID. So the last time the Aztecs were, were in the pit was January 29, 2020. Remember, two seasons ago, there were no games at all played in the state of New Mexico. And now, while the Lobos were technically supposed to host San Diego State, it was going to be on a neutral court in Lubbock, but they ended up not playing those games at all because the, the Lobos felt that they didn't have any players who were, I guess, ready to play. Um, COVID did take a, a toll on that year's team, and they've been living the entire season in hotels around the Southwest, just not in New Mexico. So the Lobos ended up not playing those games two years ago. Last year, because of COVID pauses and practices and all that, San Diego State had to reshuffle their schedule so much that they couldn't make up all their games, so ended up not making the trip at all to Albuquerque. And so that leaves us now with... Here we are. They are going to replay, or they're going to—they're scheduled right now to play the Lobos in the pit on February 25th. That will be a three-year span of 1,123 days since the Aztecs last visited the pit in Albuquerque. So I told Brian Dutcher, "Hey Dutch, Albuquerque misses you." Well, we haven't been there in three years, so we're excited to get back. I don't know if we're excited to play the Lobos this year. They're going to be pretty good, but uh, that will be a great game. All right, well, now let's head up the road to Laredice, where the number two preseason team on the media poll and on my ballot, the Wyoming Cowboys. And they were really the story of the year last year, as much as anything in the Mountain West Conference. They were picked in the preseason tied with the UNM Lobos, number eight in the preseason poll. 
and they ended up starting going 11 and 2 in non-conference play. They started off the season in their first 24 games with a 21 and 3 record. They were nationally ranked when they came into to the pit uh, to play the Lobos in mid-February, and it was the first time they had been nationally ranked, and eventually they would get an at-large berth into the NCAA tournament for the first time for both things since the Fennis Dembo era, like two decades ago. So they finished 25-9 and overall last year. They were the four seed in the Mountain West tournament. And how'd they do it? Well, first off, Coach Jeff Linder, now in his third season, but last year was his second with the Wyoming Cowboys. He deserves a ton of credit for doing something that I just frankly don't think too many college coaches do, and that's adapt to the personnel they have. Most college coaches, maybe it's because uh, of ego or stubbornness, or maybe it's because they actually, you know, they recruit the players, so they, in their mind, are recruiting players to fit their system. So why adjust to that? They think they have the right guys for their system. Well, what Jeff Linder did was realize that he had two conference player of the year candidates with very unique skills. I say they're unique, they weren't unique that long ago, but they're able to post up players and back them down, something that was basically very common even just 10 years ago, it seemed like, in, in basketball. Now the NBA's gone away from it, so we don't see it as much, and, the, and it starts to trickle down to the college game. You see it a lot more in the college game, frankly, but they had two players with, with the a great skill set of being able to back players down, post them up. So that's what he did. Wyoming posted up, had more post up possessions than any team in the in the nation last year. There's 358 Division One teams, and Wyoming had the highest percentage of post up offense. And it was because of six foot seven Conference Player of the Year candidate Hunter Maldonado. He's the guy I actually voted for for Conference Player of the Year, and he didn't he didn't win it. He was a preseason pick for Conference Player or for all. All Mountain West, rather, but the guy who did get the preseason pick this year for preseason conference player of the year was Graham Ike, six foot nine forward. And basically, this is what the Cowboys would do last year: one of those two players would would get the ball in the half court and back their opponent, their defender down, and they would keep backing them down, and they would either finish at the rim, they would draw a foul at a really high rate. Both of those players did, or they would kick to an open three point shooter once the double team came and. That might be often when they kick to that three-point shooter, by the way. It was Drake Jeffries, who I think is kind of a unspoken about um, miss or loss from that roster from a year ago that I think is going to play a bigger impact than maybe a lot of people are talking about right now. But but I digress. The It'd either be Maldonado or Ike running the offense by backing down their opponent on one side of the court to the post, and then their whole offense would basically wait for either the double team to come or they would go score. And... I, I think that what they found out, though, I mean, I know that's a very oversimplified explanation of what they were doing last year, but this is an oversimplified league preview podcast, so that, that's what I've got. But the good news, bad news for, for the Pokes last year was Maldonado and Ike were great at what they were doing, but the team seemed to either get figured out a little bit by opposing teams come March, or they kind of hit a wall and later in the season. They maybe maybe they were running out of, uh, of energy because it was really a two-man show and it should be noted that only two teams out of those 358 Division One programs had two players with usage ratings or usage rates of over 30%. That was Purdue and the Wyoming Cowboys. So only two teams last year were, were basically a two-man show on, on usage rates. So that was what the Wyoming Cowboys were last year. Uh, they did get into the NCAA tournament, but certainly seemed not as dangerous um, or as threatening come March as they as they were up until about mid-February last year. So 
what they're hoping for this year is to get a little more help from, from the returning players, but also a little help from the three Pac-12 transfers they got. I know everyone in, in Laramie is excited about Ethan Anderson and Max Aguampolo. See if I got that name right. But those are the two transfers from USC. And then Jake Kyman, who's a transfer from UCLA. Those three guys are going to step in. Probably a couple of them are going to start. I don't think all three of those guys will be new starters. They do have returning players that are pretty good too. But um, those three Pac-12 transfers are, are expected to sort of help with the depth a little bit. So I did ask Jeff Linder. I said, how do you tackle the unique problem as a head coach of, of avoiding the temptation to just keep going to the two things you know are going to work? You have two superstars that you know can score. How do you avoid the temptation of overusing Hunter Maldonado and Graham Ike? Well, I mean, I think the, um, you know, our depth and last year we had to play a certain way in order to give ourselves the best chance to win. And each year is different. And the fact that we do have more depth, you know, I, I would like to try to play a little bit faster. I mean, I knew, you know, last year, um, you know, we were probably in terms of pace of play, one of the slower teams in the country, but we also knew what, what we needed to do to win games. And I do think, um, you know, when we were using those guys and I'm, and I'm a coach that, you know, my, my guys who I feel like, you know, need the ball in their hands are going to have the ball in their hands. I mean, we're not going to be just a equal opportunity offense, but at the same time, I do think with the, our added depth and talent that you know, we can play a little bit faster, um, trying to utilize more guys, utilize our, you know, the altitude to our advantage a little bit, but, um, at the same time, I and mean, we know that, you know, ultimately for me offensively, my goal is my job as a coach is to put my players in the best position and, and ultimately how can we create paint touches and put teams in rotations every possession. And if that means, you know, that we have to get the ball inside to Graham and Maldo to, to do that, then that's what we'll do. But I do think we have more options and we'll be a little bit more, um, you know, at least a little bit more versatile in terms of, of what we're going to try to do. So there you have it. There's sort of the, the quick oversimplified season preview of the Wyoming Cowboys. They, they got two superstars. They used them a ton last year. Again, only one other team used only two players on their roster more than the the one-two punch at Wyoming was used. So they have two superstars. They used them last year. They're going to use them again plenty this year. But the hope is that these newcomers and and the advancement and and progression and development of some of the returning players was was enough to sort of uh, ease the load, ease the workload a little bit of Hunter Maldonado and Graham Ike. But their their preseason getting votes in the preseason top twenty five poll they weren't ranked they were in the others receiving votes and Wyoming should be pretty darn good again this season. All right, well now on to Boise, where Leon Rice's Boise State Broncos finally got over the hump a little bit in some ways for the program a year ago. They won their first outright. Mountain West Championship. They won their first Mountain West Conference Tournament. Those are two things that you maybe would have assumed they had done by now because Boise State every year is sort of in the mix. Leon has them at playing at such a high level, top of the uh, top of the standings every year, kind of in that mix. So you you for them to finally get their first, they did have a conference championship before, but a shared one. So to get their get this outright title and get the conference tournament title. And, and get to the NCAA tournament, uh, they they did get the league's automatic berth, but they would have been in at large comfortably too. So I, I just think they had a, a tremendous season last year, probably even going into the final week of the regular season. I, along with many others, weren't quite giving him, giving them the, the credit they probably had earned by that point and, and did deserve in hindsight. So 
great season last year for the Boise State Broncos. They they did it because they were a great defensive team. They they finished last season ranked 20th nationally in defensive efficiency, according to KenPom.com. And again, that's out of 358 Division One teams. So a lot of that had to do with their size. It wasn't that they weren't good defenders too, but man, they just had such a size advantage. Their, their roster height, average roster height, ranked them 15th in the country. And they just wore people down. They wore opponents down. They made shots difficult on the guards. It was hard to, you know, they they clogged passing lanes. They were they were long. They had, they they really created. It was hard to rebound against them. They they really created problems for teams that didn't match their size. And there's just frankly not a lot of teams that could match their size. But they lose not just three key players off last year. I think the three guys they lose were really all about that identity. They represented that identity as the Boise State Broncos are this this big bruising um, team. I, I think the three guys that really represented that based on their position, and at least two of them anyway, and then and then based on just the strongest guy in, in the league probably last year being gone, and that's six foot seven Abu Kijab and six foot eight Emmanuel Acott. Both guys were, were playing guards at six seven and six eight. Those were two guards, and, and not too many teams are, are rolling out a six seven and a six foot eight guard. So they created a lot of problems. They could rebound their position better than a lot of the guards they were, you know, matched up against, obviously, and they could create problems with those guys getting shots off, clean looks and stuff. So those two guys were were sort of representative of the overall size. But the the guy down low, Mladen Armas, the six foot ten, two hundred and forty pound center, he he was so he was just an absolute tree trunk down in the post, and you weren't moving him. I think he represented an awful lot of what the Boise State Broncos were about last year. And losing those three guys, I think, is sort of where, you know, they were picked third in the preseason poll. I picked them fifth, and I think this is, as you can tell, kind of, I have my question marks. And I think that's the main reason why. Essentially, I think they're losing more than they're adding. Now, they're adding some significant players, some really good ones. They got a transfer from from Texas Tech that they're they're hoping to get a lot of. They have a really good prep transfer that they're adding and then, and then some guys that are going to be stepping into new roles some returners that, that just haven't had the, a lot of the playing time in the past like they, they got some pieces and and leon was asked before the season like if you have success again this year what's it going to take like what's what would the one thing be that you think has to happen for you guys to have success and as you'll hear right here he basically says they need three or four of these newcomers to do things they haven't done at the college level before, either some of the transfers who have been or returners who have been at the college level or some of these freshmen that have obviously never played at the college level. They need three or four guys to step up and do things they haven't done before. I think the experience of the guys that that aren't experienced in our program, um, you know, one of them was Chabuza that we talked about, but we've got four or five guys that I expect to really, really contribute this year that maybe haven't been in that role before. Even, you know, even some of the guys that have been here, their role's gonna change even more. So just getting comfortable in those new roles, getting comfortable with, um, you know, Chibuzo didn't put up huge numbers last year. He's gotta get comfortable putting up some numbers and get consistent with it. Um, so I guess the, the biggest key to this team right away that I see outside of X's and O's and outside of uh, offense and defensive strengths and weaknesses that we have would be the, the ability for these guys to assimilate in, into their roles and, and kind of see how quickly this team can really work together. So Boise State's going to need a lot of those newcomers to step up. Chibuzo Ogbo, Chibuzo Ogbo from Texas Tech. He's a guy that the, the Lobos did try and get in the transfer market. He's six foot seven, plays the wing a little bit, didn't 
didn't play quite seven minutes even for Texas Tech last year, but he has a lot of ability. And, and when I, I'm talking about six foot seven Abu Kijab and six foot eight Emmanuel Acop both leaving the program, you 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 look at what they hope to get out of Chibuzo Agbo, and and that's that's what they hope to get. You know, they they hope he's one of the guys that can replace one or both <laughs> in in some way those uh, those departed wings that are just huge guards that are going to cause problems for opposing teams. So they hope to get a lot out of him. Um, but they also have two returning players that it's it's not all about the newcomers. The the key returners for the Broncos, while they have several of them, there's two in particular that are returning starters that I think are are really going to be the key to this team. And it's Marcus Shaver. He's the former high school teammate of UNM Lobo point guard Jalen House. And he had a lot of big shots. He's he's a great scorer when he was playing off the ball. And then, and then last year's freshman of the year, Tyson Dagenhart, six foot seven, two hundred and thirty five pound forward. You know, he's one of those newcomers that a year ago I couldn't tell you who he was. He so Boise State kind of needing to to rely on newcomers. Well, they've proven that they can, can get a lot out of guys that none of us know about in October, and and by the time the season comes around, they're ready to go. So I, I do think that they have a track record of getting stuff out of those newcomers, but they're going to need these returners, Marcus Shaver and Tyson Dagenhart, to, to really to become superstars if the Broncos are going to make another run at a league title. So what did Leon say about how Shaver and Dagenhart are doing heading into the season? I've seen huge improvement in the offseason, and I've seen a, uh, you know, a change of, of their mentality in the change of their roles, because both of their roles really are going to expand this year. And, you know, Shave's our point. He's our lead dog, and um, he's getting real, real comfortable with that. And so his game's expanded because of that, because, you know, the versatility that he brings is, is tremendous because he spent a lot of time in his career playing off the ball. And now he, he's going to play on the ball a lot. So, But he does give you versatility. So, you know, as the team evolves, maybe there might be times we put him off the ball and, and he becomes a supreme scorer, which he is already. And so we don't want to lose that ability. But we also, he's our, he's our point guard and he's our lead dog that way. And so he's, I've seen his game expand in, in that aspect. With Tyson, you know, this time last year, he was just, you know, he was, uh, he was learning the system. He was um, trying to figure it all out as a freshman. And, and so the amount of growth he's done in 12 months is remarkable. So you're going to see a big jump in his role, too, as far as how many touches he gets, how many shots we try to get him, and because he's worked hard in the offseason at shooting the ball and at scoring in the post, all those things. And he's a versatile scorer that can score in a lot of different ways from a lot of different positions. All right, moving right along, we're going to the preseason media poll pick number four team in the Mountain West Conference, and that's the Colorado State Rams, a team a lot of people thought would win the league last year with their two superstar players. And while they didn't accomplish that, they certainly had a a fantastic season that ended in the NCAA tournament under head coach Nico Medved. He got himself a nice little contract extension last March, and that's a deal that'll keep him in Fort Collins through the 28th. 2028-2029 2028-2029 season, if if college coaching contracts really meant anything anyway. Um, he is kind of building a program there in Fort Collins and has gained the attention nationwide of kind of being the, uh, the next hot coaching prospect. So he's going to get flirted with by a lot of major coaching openings around the country for a while. He was recently featured in The Athletic by Dana O'Neill in an article titled Why Colorado State's Nico Medved is College Basketball's Next It Coach. So he has the attention of the country um, uh, with what he's been doing there at Colorado State, and and teams and schools will 
will come after him um, probably every year for a little while, assuming he, he kind of maintains the trajectory that the program is on. The reason for all that attention is because he, as he will tell you, he's been trying to do, but as onlookers around the program or around college basketball and certainly around the program will tell you, he's built a program and not just a team. And the difference there is, is a team could have really good players and be good that year. A program is sort of built in a way that they could sustain, you know, things such as a key injury to a player or a graduation of some seniors that have to move on and aren't on next year's roster, or the departure, an early departure to the NBA of a superstar player. Well, here we are. We're, the Rams are now getting to prove whether or not this is a program able to sustain all those and overcome all those key roster losses from last year's 25-6 and six team that lost in the Mountain West Conference semifinals and then to Michigan in the first round of the NCAA tournament because all those things are hitting the Rams at once right now. And, and it's it's a little unfair to maybe judge them entirely and judge the, the success of a program based on all that they lost in, in kind of one offseason. But here we are. We'll see if the Rams are going to still be a solid program, and I think they will be. You can put me in the you know, go and slot me under the the side of the uh, discussion as to whether or not they are a pretty good program. I think they are. The problem is like what they lost is huge. They lost three-year starter and last year's Mountain West Player of the Year, David Roddy. He left school early to go be a first-round NBA draft pick of the Memphis Grizzlies. Former Mountain West Freshman of the Year, Isaiah Steven, a guy voted this year to the preseason All-Mountain West team and a guy that I think is as good as any player in the whole league and runs a program, runs a team rather, as well as any individual player in the whole league, Isaiah Stevens, he broke his foot earlier in October and and he broke his foot after the preseason poll ballots were due. So the Rams were picked fourth and I picked them fourth on my preseason ballot as well. But um, he broke his foot and it's not just a, a quick fix kind of thing. So he's, he's going to be out for a while. I, I think even if he is back, Excuse me. Even if he is back by the time league play starts, uh, I would be shocked if Isaiah Stevens is really full speed anytime before, I don't know, what, February at the earliest, maybe. So, you know, maybe they miss him for the whole year. Maybe he redshirts. Maybe he comes back uh, for the following year. But if he does come back, it's probably not going to be at full strength, Isaiah Stevens, until at least into league play. And we'll see how that affects him. Here's what Nico Medved had to say about his superstar point guard being out for a significant period. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you, you, you can't understate what Isaiah means to the program. I mean, I think that's fairly easy to see on the outside. And then on the inside, you know, you understand what an incredible leader he is and the, the amount of confidence he brings to our guys. But, you know, that in, injuries are part of the game, and it's we just hate it for him. And um, But I think w- what we do is, is you know, he's not going to be playing right now. And, again, we've got a really great core group of guys uh, who understand what this looks like. we got a group of guys that works their butt off every day in practice. And, you know, when everybody talks about next man up or stepping up, and that doesn't mean anyone's got to do more than they're capable of doing. It just means everybody's got to just be the best version of themselves. And, you know, people's roles might change a little bit as far as minutes and all those things. And um, But, you know, we're not we're not here to try to reinvent the wheel. We have a lot of confidence in, in what we're doing. And like we told our guys, like, you know, there's not going to be any excuses coming from our program, you know, about losing guys and injuries. And those things happen. And so uh, we got a lot of confidence in what we do and the guys we have. And we're going to go out there and compete at a high level. So you lose Roddy to the NBA. You lose your other star point guard, Isaiah Stevens, to an injury, throwing the loss of, of senior starting guard Kendall Moore 
And then Chandler Jacobs, who came off the bench as a guard last year. And then, frankly, I, I think Jacobs is actually going to be a really big loss for the Rams, one that's really going to be hard to fill, what he did for them defensively. And, and he added some rebounding from the guard spot. He did a lot of things that I think are are, are really going to be hard to replace that maybe you wouldn't, note, you wouldn't look at a stat sheet and say, wow, he's the guy that is really going to hurt them um, by not being there anymore. But then you also throw in starting forward to Sean Thomas. Look, the, the Rams – lost an awful lot from last year's roster as this year starts. So how do you carry the momentum of, of a building surging program under Nico Medved? Well, you know, I, I think the momentum is just kind of what you do every day and the process that we've always tried to have and will continue to have. And we've got a great core of guys, you know, who, who've been here in the program and uh, has a great understanding of how we like to do things, uh, what it looks like, you know, to, to compete at a high level. And I think you rely on those things to just to just keep moving forward. And so uh, I feel really good about the guys we have here in the program and their approach that they bring every day. And you know, we just got to keep doing that, and 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 that and that's uh, um, that's what we've always tried to do. And so, really, nothing will change moving forward. So, who's actually going to be on the floor this year for the Rams? I do think returning players, some names that maybe you saw on the roster last year that didn't have huge roles, although John Tanji certainly had big moments. Um, a couple guys that I think will have huge jump in production will be John Tanjay guard. I think 6'10 post James Moores is a guy whose whose numbers are going to shoot through the roof. If not for any other reason, then he's going to be on the floor quite a bit. I think a couple other guards who were off the bench last year, whose numbers should see a significant improvement, Isaiah Rivera and Jalen Lake. As far as the newcomers, there, there's some front court guys who, whose numbers will have to have to be pretty big in their first year. Um, Roddy gone, Deshaun Thomas gone, just because of opportunity, their numbers are going to be big. But I think the, the transfer you need to look for as, as potentially being a real difference maker for the Rams is Illinois State transfer Josiah Strong. He's a guard who's a, an immediate impact potential because he's an elite three-point shooter. And, and you can look at his stats. He, he was a, at a high volume, hitting a high percentage of, of his three-point shots last year. So that's going to help, especially in this style of offense. But if you ask Nico about him, he says he can do more than just hit three-pointers. Well, I mean, they're, they're both terrific shooters. You know, Josiah, you know, while, while Isaiah is a point guard, you know, I, I I mean, Josiah can do both, but but Josiah will primarily play, a you know, an, an off-guard spot. I mean, obviously the way we play, we, we really kind of have a, have a positionless style. But what Josiah brings us is a lot of experience. You know, he's played at the college level. He's played at a high level. He's produced at a high level, and he's just an exceptional young man. And I think the other thing is is he's really a good defender on the perimeter. And so I think he's going to bring us a lot of stability, a lot of shot-making, uh, um, defense, um, as he continues to get more and more comfortable with our style and our system and his teammates. I think he's got a chance to have a real impact for us. All right, and here we are, Albuquerque listeners who, who mostly tune into this podcast for UNM Lobo content. We're at the preseason number five team pick for the media poll, and that's your UNM Lobos, the team I primarily cover for the Albuquerque Journal, and a team that I actually picked number three on my preseason ballot. So it's the rare Jeff Grammers being overly nice to the to the team he covers um, situation going on here. I, I did pick them third. I think they can make a significant jump. From, from last year's 13-win season. And and now if you listen to this podcast or follow my work daily in the Albuquerque Journal, you'll get way more in-depth analysis of the Lobos than what you're going to hear right here in this league-wide overview. This is just sort of the broad strokes overview of the league and of each team. So I, I do think, though, 
that what I'm about to cover right now is the the overall theme. There's really two two main factors about the Lobos this year heading into this season. And the reason I picked them third after last year's 13-win season, and they when which they finished as a nine seed and lost in the first round of the Mountain West Conference Tournament in Richard Pitino's first season as head coach. Now remember they were or finished dead last in the league the year prior to that in Paul Weir's final year. They had four, six wins overall, and only four were against Division One opponents. That was in that COVID season where they had to play the entire season outside of the state of New Mexico, living in hotels. It was just a disaster. But the coaching change, two years ago, they finished dead last. Last year, Patino's first season, they finished ninth with 13 wins. And the reason I think they could make a big jump into the realm of, of maybe competing for a conference title, but more importantly, I think right now, is that they can compete for an NIT or NCAA invitation. That would be the first one of those since 2014 in Craig Neal's first year when they were in the NCAA tournament. And the reason I think they can make that jump is two prongs. First, they have the best backcourt in the conference, and that's more than just the return of all-conference guard Jalen House and Jamal Mashburn Jr. Those two averaged more than 35 points per game last season, and they also have, though, in addition to those two stars, they have a veteran coming off the bench in K.J. Jenkins. They have a freshman phenom who, who Patino's called the point guard of the future in, in former Mr. California last season in high school, Donovan Dent. And then you get to slide Javante Johnson back down from the four spot that he had to play last year because the Lobos had no front court players to his natural kind of guard spot at the three at the wing. And the Lobos are going to play a lot of three guard kind of sets this year, sometimes four guards as well. But but basically moving Javante Johnson back to the three and then you add the those other guards like this is the best backcourt out in the Mountain West Conference and, and could probably compete with just about any of them out West. So it's also worth making sure um, I mentioned here that Jamal Mashburn Jr. was voted to the preseason All-Mountain West team in the media poll. Um, I really think that last spot that went for the it's only five players selected in the preseason All-Conference team in the last spot was going to go to probably either Jalen House or Jamal Mashburn Jr. Jamal Mashburn Jr. averaged more points last year. He's the leading returning scorer for the Lobos. Great mid-range game, great offensive player. I voted for him. I actually put him there. But if we're really being honest right now, I, I kind of think if the Lobos reach that next level, as I've watched practices and I've watched an exhibition game, all that kind of stuff, if, if the Lobos reach that next level that I think they will, I think it's going to be the emergence that I've seen from Jalen House that gets him there. And he's, he's really taking a, the next step into becoming more of a a floor general. I think he's still going to score a lot. He's going to have a lot of assists. He had all that last year, but he just understands – moments a little better now and if he can obviously cut back on some of the bad mistakes and turnovers and decision making I, I just think he's he's ready to take the next step where especially with Jamal Mashburn Jr. helping him um right alongside like I, I really think Jalen House is is probably a little more of the x factor if he can take this team to the next level than, than Mashburn but man again we're splitting hairs we're talking about two um very legitimate all-conference guards and that's that's the main reason why the Lobos are are being talked about right now in the preseason. But if they really want to take that next step, they had to change a little bit of the identity internally as much as externally. The The second key, I think, for the Lobos' rise this season has to do with the fact that they had to get better in the front court, shore up their rebounding issues and their defensive flaws from last season. To address that, they added experience, size, and strength in the front court this offseason with transfer forwards Josiah Alec and Morris Udazi. I think both of those guys, six foot eight forwards, one who's Josiah Alec, who's a little bit more of a stretch for, a little more versatile, 
um, still very big and very strong. And then Morrissey Daisy, a lot more back to the basket down low front court guy, a lot of strength. You, you add to that the seven foot, the return of seven foot sophomore center, Sebastian Forsling, who played for his junior national team back in Sweden over the, over the summer. He has been a little bit banged up. So we'll see, you know, he's had a concussion. He's had a wrist injury from over the summer. He has recently an ankle sprain. He was sick there for like a week or two where he missed some practices. If he gets all those little nagging, small, minor nagging things out of the way and gets back into the mix here, I think Sebastian Forsling is going to be a big piece of the puzzle this year too. So I do think that the Lobos will be a much better rebounding team. More importantly, I think they're going to improve on their 243rd ranked defensive efficiency rating on Ken Palm from last year. And, and if you want to take it a step further, according to shot quality, the Lobos were giving up so many easy shots last year. You know, they were ranked 278th in the in the country in, in shot quality's defensive metrics because they simply gave up too many easy baskets and, and were putting teams on the line way too often at the free throw line. So to get all that done, they had to kind of change their own identity internally saying we're going to play more physically we're going to be tougher and we're not going to be easy to score on anymore and this is what Richard Pitino had to say about that I just want to see a team that people fear playing um I want to see a team that when a shot goes up if you don't block out we're going to make you pay um if you try to screen us you're not going to screen us because we're so tough we're so physical Uh, we're going to value the basketball um we're not going to celebrate if a play happens and then let a team just run down like Utah State did versus us last year. Um, I want to see a locker room full of guys that they want to win a championship. They, that's why I came here. I've said it a million times. I, I, I love Albuquerque. I was The next job I chose was one where I wanted to win championships in the league. And uh, it needs to represent that every single day with the way that we – work um are we at the level of san diego state i i don't know that that team has been doing it consistently for a long time san diego state thinks they can go to a final four they're in our league they're our competition so um i just want to see guys that are all business to you know pulling in the right direction to go to go raise a banner which is very very hard to do Up next, UNLV, preseason pick in the media poll, number six. I picked them number seven on my ballot, and I do think that they are a team that has a lot of question marks um, about how they're how the, the roster is constructed, how they're going to replace some stars. I think they surprised people last year. They did finish as a number five seed. They went 18 and 14 and 10 and 8 in league play as that number five seed where they did lose a, a one-possession game, a three-point game to Wyoming in the quarterfinals. Of Wyoming had a really good year. So UNLV did outplay its expectations from a year ago when they were picked preseason number seven and did finish fifth in the first year of Kevin Kruger, the former UNLV rebel himself, and of course, son of, of UNLV great coach Lon Kruger. So the way he built his roster last year was he already had UNLV star was already on the roster at that point in Bryce Hamilton, and they they loaded around him a whole bunch of transfers from power conference schools that were seniors and, and experienced veteran type transfers. Well, now the team is back to having to reload a little bit because four of the team's top five scorers from last year and four of the five guys who averaged over 20 minutes and the top four guys in terms of usage, according to Ken Palm, are all gone. And that includes Bryce Hamilton, who scored 21.8 points per game. And he took 39% of his team's shots last year when he was on the floor. That's the second highest output of any individual player in the country last season. So 
Bryce Hamilton was their offense. And, and as everybody else scored around him, it was all based off of what Bryce Hamilton was sort of setting up. So they're going to miss him an awful lot. You, you throw in losing 12.3 points a game from Donovan Williams, and you lost your big your big man in Royce Ham Jr. He had nine points, nine rebounds a night for you every single night. And it's, it's a lot to have to try and replenish. So they, they did go out again and, and kind of load up on power conference transfers. A lot of veterans, not all, but a lot of veterans that, that just have a year or two left remaining. So they might have to go through some of this again next year. But the leading returner in terms of playing minutes and, and scoring at this point, the leading returning scorer is Jordan McCabe, the point guard. Now, he's not going to fill Hamilton's shoes. It's not his game. He's not playing the same role in any stretch of the imagination as Hamilton. He might score a little bit more than he did last year, but that, that isn't what he's good at. He needs to set the table for everyone else, and they're going to need to get some scoring from one of the new or several, frankly, of the new players that came in this year's transfers, like EJ Harkless from Oklahoma. He's a guy who played two years ago for Lon Kruger, and now he's playing for his son, Kevin, at UNLV. He's a six foot three transfer guard from the Sooners, who who last year, I'm sorry, for the Sooners, averaged 10 points and 4.1 rebounds. And then six foot six guard Luis Rodriguez, a no miss transfer, who's probably going to get a lot of opportunities to score as well. But make no mistake about it, UNLV's roster is not built to be an offensive juggernaut. This is a roster as constructed, built to defend. And I don't think offense is is really what anybody is going to expect from UNLV. They're going to be tough to score on, though. But there's no one on this roster that has really killed it as a three-point shooter wherever they've been in the past. The percentages up and down the roster as three-point shooters, not very impressive. And if you can't spread the floor at all in the college game, in any game, not just the college game, in any level of basketball, like it's going to be hard to shoot and score late in the shot clock. And that's what Bryce Hamilton bailed them out so many times with last year. He could create his own shot late in the shot clock and did so on many occasions. So the real big question for UNLV this year and their season, if you ask me, it's really just one question and who's going to score for the running rebels here's what head coach kevin kruger had to say about that well yeah i think we you know we definitely lost a lot on the on the scoring front but uh you know i think you might have asked the same question even at at last year's uh media day in in a regard in a certain regard of just figuring out who's going to score with uh you know last year being bryce is the only established score i think uh, this year we've got a, a handful of guys that can step in and and score and share it and and just be a little more balanced hopefully but of course you know first off you're going to go to you know harkless and rodriguez that have coming from oklahoma and ole miss respectively who who spent time uh, you know being counted on every day expected to uh, take and make shots every day and uh, i think uh, you know just just having those two here together to kind of help bridge that gap. Uh, anytime you lose 24 a night, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a change. But I think this will be a group that can balance it out, share it pretty well. And uh, on any given night, it really could be anybody leading the scoring. Okay, up next is Fresno State, a team picked in the preseason poll at number seven. I actually had them at, at number six. I'm a little bit higher on Fresno State because of the consistency I think they've had in Justin Hudson's first four years as head coach. Um, he's already going into year five. Might have snuck up on some people. I know it snuck, snuck up on me a little bit. I didn't realize he had already been there going on, is this being his fifth year. Their, their team, the Bulldogs are, that finished 23-13 and 13 last year, went – Eight and nine in league play, and they were the number six seed in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. They did win their opening round game and then lost in the quarterfinals to San Diego State in the Mountain West Tournament. It went on to the Basketball Classic, the postseason invitational 
um, that they played in and actually won all four games and won that event. So there's no NCAA tournament, which, as Justin Hudson will tell you, he they prefer. That is the goal. But you still uh, have to be a little bit proud as a program when you do. We are one of the very few college basketball teams that actually finishes with a win. So good for the Bulldogs and how they wrapped things up last year. And I do think some teams might be surprised in how they did it. Um, they quietly crept up to become a very good team near bubble type at large team in the NCAA tournament conversation. They finished at number 73 in Ken Palm, and they did that because of their defense, which is no surprise if you know Justin Hudson's background in basketball. Now, they obviously were a very good defensive team all around, but really what they did is they didn't let you get offensive rebounds. They, you know, scoring on them was a chore. And that's a staple of the defensive identity that, that Justin's really brought to Fresno State and, and really speaks to why here in Albuquerque, Richard Pitino hired this past offseason away from Fresno State staff, their former associate head coach, Tarvish Felton, who's now on the Lobos staff and tasked with helping the Lobos shore up its defense, which was frankly pretty awful last year. So back to the Bulldogs, though. Last year, the team was blessed with one of the top centers in recent memory in the Mountain West Conference in Orlando Robinson. You know, hat tip here to a stat I read in the Almanac, the preseason hoops guide, where according to Hoop Explorer, Fresno State averaged 108.3 points per 100 possessions when Orlando Robinson was on the floor last year. When he was on the bench, the team scored just 97.9 points per 100 possessions. So things were obviously a whole lot better. It wasn't just that Orlando was the one doing it. Things operated much more smoothly when Orlando Robinson was on the floor. So clearly the question for this year's Fresno State team is how do you replace a star like Orlando Robinson? They do have four starters back um, on the team, four guards who played around him last year. And they also added six foot ten Southern Miss transfer Isaiah Moore, who averaged 13.1 points, 6.9 rebounds, and more than a block per game last year at Southern Miss, and a couple other 6'11 transfers on the bench that are going to get their chance to, to be the front court players. But it's really those four guards that they're going to lean on heavily that are back in their four-out system that they, at least last year's a four-out, one big inside system. And that's Isaiah Hill, Anthony Holland, Jamari Baker, Jordan Campbell, and that's they're also adding a very talented freshman, but it's those guys who now have the opportunity to step up their roles in this offense. Well, we prefer to have him than not have him, but, you know, it's, you know, I think you know me, Z, it's on to the next possession, and we're rooting for him from afar. And the guys that did come back are excited about having an expanded role. They're a lot like myself. They miss him. They wish we would still have him. But they're excited about them having the opportunity to expand their role. And we do have some experience coming back, but not as much experience as all of them driving the car, you know. And now they're looking to have a little bit more expanded role with what they're doing. So it's going to be interesting, but we're excited for the challenge. And how exactly is that going to look on the court next season for Fresno State? Well, we probably won't play through the post definitely as much as we had. You know, as soon as we threw it inside, you know, we're going to he's going to command a double team. We're going to put the defense in rotations. So we're going to have to find different ways to do that. We do have some some bigs that we recruited that we're happy with that we will throw the ball to. But it def, his usage rate was high. So we'll definitely play a little different. And as far as all those newcomers that are going to have to start filling in bigger roles, there is one in particular that I think Mountain West fans are going to get to know pretty well over the next several years because he's a pretty good player. He's a four-star freshman recruiting Joseph Hunter, who's right there from right there in the San Joaquin Valley, and Fresno State was able to keep him. JoJo is uh, from the Valley. We're very fortunate to get him. He was highly recruited. He's a wonderful young man. You know, you know freshmen don't play much in this conference. So it's a transfer conference with the portal the way it's going. So we're trying to catch him up to speed quickly. You know, we have to get him healthy, but we really love his talent.
All right, next up, number eight in the preseason media poll, also preseason number eight on my ballot, the Utah State Aggies. The Aggies last year went 18 and 16, only 8 and 10 in Mountain West play, which was good for the seventh seed in the Mountain West Conference tournament, where they did win an opening round game and ended up going on to the quarterfinal round, where they lost by just a bucket to Colorado State. So, two point loss to the Rams, uh, advanced or did get an invitation rather to the NIT, where they played Oregon and lost on their home court. So, pretty good season all around, and Ryan, head coach Ryan Odom's first season replacing Craig Smith, who had a a tremendous three-year stint in Logan, Utah. And Ryan Odom, of course, is probably more um, famous, at least to the broader college basketball audience, um, for what he did in 2018. And he was the head coach at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And, of course, the UMBC, the Retrievers, is the NCAA tournament's only 16 seed ever to upset a number one seed when they knocked off Virginia in 2018. So that's where most people probably knew him from, but still a very respected coach um, in his own right, just outside of that one upset, of course. And the Aggies now, he does have a tall task. He has a a tough job this year because they do lose one of the Mountain West's favorite, fan favorites um, ever, really, in a lot of ways, and Justin Bean, a very efficient player, do a little bit of everything, and they lose another guy who I think was probably overlooked by fans a little bit, but big man Brandon Horvath, who was six foot ten forward and actually had a higher usage percentage of the team's possessions last season than did Justin Bean. So um, losing those two guys, you don't really replace them. What the, the Aggies are hoping for is that in – Four guards they have returning that each started at least 15 games last season. They can get maybe more production out of them than they did even a year ago. Those four guards are Ryland Jones and Steven Ashworth, both of whom can play point guard and, and do play on the court at the same time together sometimes, but really are two point guards. RJ Adderock, and then their leading returning scorer for Utah State happens to be senior wing Sean Berstow, the younger brother of Lobo legend Cameron Berstow. Here's when I talked to Sean in the preseason. Here's a, a quick question I had to for him about his older brother, Cam Berstow, recently announcing his retirement from professional basketball in Australia. Yeah, uh, yeah, I speak to speak to Cameron Heap. Um, been a really good mentor for me for the past, you know, three three going on four years. Um, so yeah, his his retirement. I'm I'm happy for him. He had a had a great career. Yeah, he's going to come in January, and then I think he's going to go to San Antonio with his wife, and then come back to uh, senior night in March. Okay, so there's Sean Berstow for Utah State, the leading returning scorer of the Aggies. And it is an Aggies team that has a lot to replace. They do have one newcomer who, who I will point out, the Almanac, the the online 800-plus page preseason magazine that's available online, did pick, did pick their newcomer, Utah State newcomer Taylor Funk, as one of the or a preseason second team selection didn't pick him as the the conference's newcomer of the year which was kind of odd because who they picked for newcomer of the year wasn't an all-league selection but Taylor Funk is a 6'9 transfer from St. Joe's I do think picking him all-league is is quite optimistic he averaged 13.2 points and 6.6 rebounds a year ago at St. Joe's for a bad Atlantic 10 team at St. Joe's I don't know that he's going to step into to Utah State and be a superstar but I will point out that he is filling that front court court role that two highly efficient players and Justin Bean and Brandon Horvath vacated. So maybe maybe Ryan Odom's offense is going to have the the new guy in that spot in one of those forward front court kind of positions just sort of flourish this year. So regardless, here is Ryan Odom sort of addressing what they 
what you need to do at Utah State to replace Justin Bean and sort of just the general outlook of the season ahead? You know, the, the short answer to that is this this program's always had players step up each and every year and some that you might not expect. Uh, you know, Justin Bean didn't come here a household name. Uh, he left here a legend. And uh, it was it was a matter of, you know, working his way into that point. And he started out as a role player and then, you know, became a go-to guy for us his senior year. Uh, the increase in production from his, you know, first three years to his last year. I think his first three years, he averaged nine points a game. Uh, his last year, he averaged over 17. Uh, his three-point shooting, you know, increased significantly. I think he made 19 total in three years. His last season, he made 46 in one year and shot 47%. And so, you know, th- that's what Utah State's basketball is all about. It's about improving each and every year. Uh, and then improving not only individually, but improving collectively. And so we feel uh, we have the right players, you know, here at Utah State, uh, guys that have worked hard to get to where they are right now. Uh, We've got a great core group of captains. Uh, We've established four captains for our team, Rylan Jones, uh, who obviously played dynamite for us last year. Sean Bairstow, even though he was hurt early in the season, really came on strong. You know, throughout the remainder of the season, once Brock uh, Miller went out, they kind of exchanged, you know, positions there. And then Stephen Ashworth uh, obviously had some tremendous games for us uh, this past year and, and has a really bright future. And then a newcomer. And it's rare that you would name a captain or name a newcomer a captain uh, in, in Taylor Funk, but he's earned that. He's been here, you know, pretty much since the day he committed. And, uh, you know, has hit the ground running, is connected with his teammates and really earned, you know, his way within this team. And he's a 1,400-point scorer in college uh, at, at coming from St. Joe's. So, you know, we feel good about where we're at right now. Other guys that I didn't even mention that are captains right now have really improved from last year. And so I think it's a collective effort, and the guys understand that. It's about not one individual, but, you know, uh, our team overall. Off to Reno we go, where Lobo basketball fans here in these parts are certainly very familiar with the Nevada Wolfpack's head coach and associate head coach, Steve Alford and Craig Neal, respectively, who ran the UNM basketball program for a decade from 2007 through 2017. And, and really since that time, I guess more specifically since about 2014, since in, that was the first year under Craig Neal. But after six seasons of Steve Alford and after the first season of Craig Neal, the Lobo fans and the Lobo program has really been longing to return to those glory days ever since. And and they just haven't been able to do it. They're, they're hopeful it'll happen this year. But it was those Alford years that, that Lobo fans are hoping to return to. And it's those Alford years when he was at UNM that Nevada thought they were getting when they hired him. As the story goes, he left UNM, went to UCLA. He's now starting year four of a 10-year, $10 million contract with the Wolfpack. And it, things started promising enough a few years ago. Um, even heading into last season, the Wolfpack was picked third in the preseason media poll. And things changed. Fast forward to March. Uh, Wolfpack was a quarterfinal exit in the Mountain West tournament. They wrapped up the season with the disappointing 13-18 and 18 overall record. One of the only two, I believe it is, losing records Steve Alford's had in three decades as a head coach. And it went 6-12 and 12 in league play. And it was, like I said, one of the worst seasons Alford's ever had as a head coach. And one player was dismissed from the team early in the season. Three other starters bolted from the team as transfers right afterwards. Two went to Arizona State. 
and star point guard Grant Sherfield transferred to Oklahoma, where he was recently named the Big 12 preseason newcomer of the year. So things, to say the least, didn't exactly go very well for Alford and the Wolfpack this past season in Reno. It's something that we've really addressed probably even earlier than June when we had most of the new guys. Um, it's just uh, it's unacceptable. Um, the last season was one of those seasons that uh, we've been very fortunate that we haven't had to, to endure a lot of, um, but we had it. And it was a uh, it was reality, and it's um, it's something that I think our players have worked awfully hard throughout the summer and the fall uh, to correct um, and get this this program going back in the direction that it's expected to do, um, and something that uh, the coaching staff and players have worked awfully hard this summer um, and throughout early practices to just make sure the things that we're learning and working on. Um, don't take place like it did last year because uh, I just did not think we were difficult to play against for the most part, um, and we were not as cohesive as we usually are. Uh, our culture is about team first, um, and I, I think there was a lot of things both offensively and defensively that were very out of characteristic, and we've got to get back to doing uh, the blueprint that we think uh, leads to success. Okay, well, to fix those problems, you need players. You know, how are you going to replace a backcourt – that is, it, frankly, Nevada's backcourt wasn't very deep. They had two stars at the top of the of the depth chart, but they didn't they didn't have much after that. And now you lose Grant Sherfield, who was just an all around stud point guard in this league. Nineteen point one points per game, four point two rebounds, six point four assists. He's now at Oklahoma. Desmond Cambridge bolted after sixteen point two points per game, five point one rebounds, one point seven steals per game. I mean, he he played a lot of good defense too. The, those two guys were as good a, a starting tandem duo at backcourt as the league had last year. And a lot of people like talking talking up, you know, the Jamal Mashburn Jr. and Jalen House backcourt at UNMO. They were offensive oriented. They didn't defend like like Desmond Cambridge in particular did. So what does Nevada do to fix that? Well they thought they did a pretty good job of, of kind of shoring the uh, the backcourt up a little bit and filling those holes. They they got Jared Lucas from Oregon, a transfer from Oregon who's, who's going to be the best player on this team. He's a, he's a good three-point shooter, shot I think nearly 40%, just under 40% from three if I remember correctly. I don't have the number in front of me right now. But Jared Lucas is going to be a leading scorer. He's a transfer from Oregon, averaged 13.5 points a game last year. He's going to be the scorer, but they want him off the ball. They don't want him playing point guard. What they thought they got to be their point guard was Hunter McIntosh, a multi-year starter at Elon. He was more of a combo guard, but he was going to settle into that point guard role. He's a six-foot-two senior, and you know he was playing 33 minutes a game last year. He was averaging 13.3 points, and he was going to be the point guard. And then knee surgery a couple weeks ago. He's out several months. I doubt he plays this year. So they lose in the preseason. They got two good transfer guards that they were hoping – would replace the two departed guards. Now, I don't know who plays point guard. Maybe it's returning starter Keenan Blackshear, who's, you know, played the three. He's six foot six, and I think he played some minutes, if I'm not mistaken. I think he played some minutes whenever uh, Grant Sherfield did need somebody to back him up. But, you know, Jared Lucas can't be the point guard for, for Nevada. They want him to be the scorer. And that kind of uh, doesn't happen when you're the primary ball handler. So I do think Nevada has a big question mark at point guard right now. But they also have some talent coming back, and, and that's they do have experience, uh, nearly 25 to 30 minutes a game in, in 
Blackshear, as I mentioned, and Trey Coleman coming back, a 6'7 forward, who who averaged quite a few minutes last year. And then Will Baker, he's a 7-footer. He, he started alongside another 7-footer, Warren Washington, who joined Desmond Cambridge and transferring to Arizona State at the end of last season. Th- those two guys were... You know, they're kind of the Twin Towers in in a lot of ways. Will Baker is a former five-star recruit, went to Texas, transferred a year ago to Nevada and, and played last year and showed promise. Um, did did play, I'd say, around 20 minutes a game last year, a little over 20 minutes a game. But they're going to need probably a few more minutes out of him this year. And if they're going to be good, if Nevada's going to make a run back to towards 500 or and back towards respectability, which is certainly the goal for Alford and company, and I think Will Baker's a guy that's going to have to take the next step and progress his game. Yeah, Will's like a lot of guys that we have. Um, really wants to get better, uh, very coachable, wants to learn, um, wants to have the little things that make you go from good to great. Um, and I do think he, in our league, being seven foot, being left-handed, uh, being somebody that can shoot the three ball at 40% or better, uh, and then being a force inside, our hope is that he – he creates more double teams inside because I think he's really worked on his inside game. Um, so he's very talented in and out. Uh, and he's worked very hard defensively, uh, just learning angles and the things that you have to do to get better defensively. So having somebody in the middle like that, um, and then somebody obviously like K.J. Himes, who's got a lot of experience, was hurt a lot last year. We didn't get K.J. really healthy at all until January. Um, and K.J.'s had a great summer. Uh, and a really good fall for us. So we feel like we've got uh, two really good bigs in the middle, both offensively and defensively and with experience uh, that can help us as we move into the backcourt. Okay, off to the bay we go. Preseason pick number 10 in the Mountain West preseason media poll was the San Jose State Spartans. They were also number 10 on my ballot. And they're under year two now from head coach Tim Miles. Those in these parts, of course, remember or know of Tim Miles from his time when he coached at Colorado State and also from he went on to Nebraska after that and then also from about a year ago he was one of the three finalists for this New Mexico Lobo job here in Albuquerque that went to Richard Pitino so a lot of familiarity with Tim Miles he's a he's a popular coach around the country and certainly very well known and very popular around the Mountain West as well so there's no denying he can coach Uh, he showed that last year with the roster that wasn't overall very good, um, very limited roster. But then on top of that, it was a roster that got hit really hard with some COVID pauses, some some injuries to key players. And and really, they I mean, they were suiting up six guys, uh, six available players at times last year. So the fact that they started off after a seven and five start in non-conference play, they finished just eight and 23 overall and only went one and 17 in Mountain West play with that one win. Of course, the Lobo fans will remember being against the UNM Lobos there in San Jose. So they uh, they did struggle down the stretch and, again, had a really limited roster down the stretch. And they were a first-round loser to the Mountain West in the Mountain West tournament to a really good Fresno State team. But it was in overtime. So they, they were putting up a fight till the end last year, despite some limitations with the roster. Here's the rare good news for San Jose State going into this season. They didn't have an offseason full of top players, just a, a mass exodus, if you will, of players that just – left the program and transferred out. That doesn't mean they didn't lose some players. They, they did. They lost some seven and eight point scorers, um, but it wasn't multiple starters like they like they have. seems like every offseason over the past decade. On top of the list is an all-league caliber player 
one of the more complete guards in the league. They return six foot six Omari Moore. He averaged 13.2 points, 5.5 rebounds, and 4.6 assists last year per game. And here's what Tim Miles has to say about his lead guard. Well, I think his confidence is growing, and he's more comfortable in a leadership role than he has been previously. His skills are improving uh, all the time. I would expect him, to, the jump he took last year, to take another jump this year. I think he's going to be a real go-to player for us. I think he's going to be an excellent player and one of those guys that's all league in the Mountain West with a productive uh, future afterwards in professional basketball. Now, Omari's going to have help. There were some guards last year, two freshman guards who are sophomores now that I think could really help him in a lot of ways. Omari Moore is going to be the point guard. He's he's going to have the ball in his hands an awful lot. He does a little bit of everything. None of that's going to change necessarily. But I do think if Alvaro Cardenas, six foot one point guard, fresh, freshman a year ago, now a sophomore, if he can kind of handle some of the the ball handle primary ball handling duties at times. Um, free up Omari Moore to do some other things. I think that would really help things out. And then after a slow start to the season, it wasn't that he wasn't available. He, he was available, just wasn't getting a whole lot of minutes. And then out of nowhere, MJ Amy came on and showed he could be a, a huge scoring threat on any given night. So those were two freshman guards last year that if they continue to develop, I think they can really help Omari Moore in the backcourt be a pretty solid backcourt for San Jose State. Now, the big question marks, not that they don't have talent and some bodies that'll that'll help, but the big question mark about how far and how the, if they can take the next step, if San Jose State can sort of start chipping away and getting into that nine range and eight range and seven range in the Mountain West standings this season, as opposed to the bottom two spots, I, I think that has to do with the front court. They had a guy last year got some good minutes, Trey Anderson, six seven forward. They added a couple pieces this offseason in, in transfers that should be interesting and should should help them out. They got a guy, Sage Tolbert the third from tra- a transfer from from Temple University, and he's six foot eight. They got a guy from Fresno State who was a freshman last year, six eight, Robert Viola Viola. Um, I, I think he's a guy that both of those guys actually should get a whole lot of minutes. But I'm gonna wrap up my San Jose State kind of preview and my thoughts on them with what I saw their biggest key last year was when they were really good with their seven-foot center, Ibrahim Diallo, who started his career, played two seasons at Ohio State, and now he's at San Jose State. San Jose State last year was really good when he was playing, and then he missed 18 games with a bad knee. And when he came back, the defense was so much better. I mean, it was night and day between how good they were with him on the court and how bad they were with him off the court. If he's back and if he's healthy, I really think he's a difference maker that makes San Jose State have a pretty solid defense. That's keen insight, Jeff. I'll look forward to watching that same kind of mentality on Richard all year long, so keep it going. But you're exactly right. Um, uh, Ibrahima, when you looked at our defensive numbers with and without Ibrahima Diala, uh, it was just kind of earth-shattering. Like, when he's in the game, defensively, uh, we can guard people. And when he's not in the game, we struggled last year. Uh, Hopefully we have more depth, more physicality this year to be able to nullify that. But at the same time, he's one of those premier defenders in a league in the Mountain West that's got a lot of premier defenders, especially at that big spot. So uh, we need him, and he's a vital guy. Uh, we need to keep him healthy uh, throughout the season. He's had a good off season. He's been healthy. He's in, in a good place right now. So hopefully we can get this going forward. Okay, well, let's wrap things up now with Team 11 in our 11-team Mountain West Conference preview. And that's the Air Force Falcons picked in the preseason poll to finish it 
last in 11th place. They were also 11th on my ballot. It's a team that last year finished 11-18, and 4-13 and 13 in conference play. They were the 10th seed in the Mountain West Conference Tournament where they lost to Utah State in the first round. So obviously not a whole lot of expectations for head coach Joe Scott's third year in his second stint, his second tour of duty, if you will, at the academy. As you might expect, the the Falcons last year played an extremely slow tempo. They were ranked 342nd out of 358 Division I teams per KenPom.com. But they did show glimpses of good things. This was certainly not an all-bad season by any stretch of the imagination. They started off non-conference play at 7-1. and Really good record. Weren't, weren't playing a whole lot of top 100, 150 level teams, but they were beating teams ranked well above them in Ken Palm. And that was a good start no matter you know how you look at it. 7-1 and one's certainly better than the alternative for a program like Air Force. And they were ranked 7-1 and one in non-conference play at one point. They opened... Mountain West play with the home win over Utah State, and they Utah State finished their season ranked number 60 in Ken Palm. A few weeks later, Air Force knocked off UNLV at home, and then to pick up their uh, to round out their four conference wins, they also swept the season series with San Jose State. So they did show glimpses. Um, as far as what they're missing from last year's team, the the obvious biggest roster loss is AJ Walker, multi-year starter who really finished a heck of a Mountain West career, in my opinion. He averaged 14.2. 14.2 points per game last year, last season, and he, he's he gone, as is fellow guard Joseph Octave, who, who transferred out of the program after averaging 8.3 points per game. So those two guys will be missed. But on the other hand, what, what Air Force has this year is a whole lot of young players who got a lot of experience last year as freshmen. Air Force doesn't traditionally have a whole lot of freshmen getting a ton of minutes, but they did last year. They had guys like in big roles, like center Lucas Mormon. Um, rare six foot ten cadet at the academy who had some pretty big games in the, at the center position, and then the potentially dynamic one-two punch in the backcourt and guards Ethan Taylor, who posted a triple double at one point in a home loss to Nevada in mid-January when he had fourteen points, ten rebounds, ten assists. So he obviously is a little bit of a do-everything kind of guard. And then the returning leading scorer in the team is babyface sophomore guard Jake Highbreder. Highbreder who averaged 10.4 points per game last year, hit 38% of his three-pointers, and in two games against the Lobos, Lobo fans may remember, Jake averaged 18 points per game, six rebounds, and three and a half assists. So his best games, including his season high of 20 points, was against the Lobos. So he is a guy that can can hurt a team, can put up some points, and uh, Air Force is relying on a lot of those freshmen from last year to, to now step into roles this year as sophomore and, and kind of lead the team. So there is talent, and there are a lot of returning minutes and production from last year's team, but it's a lot of sophomores. This is still very much a young team, and the hill to climb to get out of those one of those bottom two seller spots in the Mountain West Conference along with San Jose State, it's really steep for Air Force. Here's what head coach Joe Scott had to say and kind of summarize for the season ahead for his program. Uh, you, you hit it on the head. We are extremely uh, young, uh, and especially in today's world of college basketball, uh, it's rare to be as young as we are. Uh, you know, that that's not great. But on the other hand, 
you know, I sort of like it in the situation we're in because, you know, we're, we're building a program, you know, and we're building a program with these young guys. A lot of them played last year. You know, we have a lot of returning scoring. We have a lot of returning minutes, you know, where that's 80% of our minutes, 65% of our scoring, 75% of our assists, 80% of our rebounds, whatever those numbers are. Uh, we have a lot of experience coming back. And to your point, we, you know, we, we have some, uh, you know, newcomers who uh, we're going to again be trying to throw some young guys in there uh, with these, uh, you know, other uh, returning young guys. And then we have, you know, our three seniors who, you know, I, we will be counting on them to be sort of, you know, seniors, just, you know, solid contributors, you know, helping again uh, these younger guys to continue to grow. But I've been, I've been I like what I've seen. Uh, you know, from everybody. And, uh, I think we're making progress and, and, you know, I think we're going to make progress as we go through the season. Okay. Well, there you have it. There is the long episode 52 of the talking grammar podcast. And if you made it this far, Oh, God bless you. You listened to a whole lot of talking grammar podcasts today, but, um, hopefully if you just wanted to listen to one team or your favorite team, you, you skipped ahead to their part in the show. If you listen to the whole thing, thank you so much. I, I really genuinely appreciate those who are listening. I, I had two people stop me at the recent exhibition game, the Lobo game against CSU Pueblo this past weekend. Said they've been listening to the podcast and they love it. I'm telling you that feedback is, I'm being genuine here, that feedback is is great to hear. The The numbers are doing good. Uh, let, let me know what you think. You can email me anytime you want, ggrammarabqjournal.com. Let my bosses know what you think. Um, making sure they know that we have some people out there listening sure will help uh, help things continue, if you will. And uh, keep following us on the Albuquerque Journal's website, abqjournal.com slash sports is how you can follow all our coverage. Subscribe to this podcast, however you're listening, if it's iTunes, Spotify, whatever it is. Keep subscribing. It'll, episodes, whenever I post them, will then pop right up into your, uh, your, your listening app or however you listen to these podcasts. So much appreciated. Glad you're here. Should be a fun season. We're less than a week away now as I record this from from the 2022-23 college basketball season. Should be a fun one, like I said. And I will be trying to continue this podcast every week. Uh, it will be difficult sometimes. In fact, next week we have a Monday night game, and I usually post a podcast on Monday night. So not sure yet what I'm going to do for that one. Probably, uh, anyway, regardless, I'll, I'll come up with something. So we will still have a weekly podcast throughout the season. That's my hope anyway. You can help support local journalism, including this podcast, by subscribing to the Albuquerque Journal. It's abqjournal.com slash subscribe. All right, let's put a bow on this thing. Thank you for joining me on episode 52 of the Talking Grammar podcast, the longest podcast in the history of this podcast was this one right here today. So if you made it this far, thank you so much. Until next time, thanks for listening.